And the Word of God says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Let me ask again his question in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in his house this evening. I think we are coming into a transitioning point in the book of Romans as to where Paul has built his case for justification through faith, by grace, how salvation occurs through faith, and now he's coming to the point where we're talking about the difference it makes in the life of the believer. And one of the things you can do if you read your Bible as a researcher is you can read into the kind of questions or concerns he is addressing. He's, we can see the kind of concerns that the church in Rome would have been dealing with based on what he's addressing. So, when he asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, we can deduce that there were some quote-unquote believers who thought that you could trust in Christ but live in sin. And there was actually a group that we're going to talk about in a moment. And so he's addressing against this type of group. And, and some would call this group antinomians, meaning that the law has no effect. That, that, that there's no more law. You don't have any particular way you're supposed to live now. The law's gone. You can live however you want. That's called an antinomian. So he's counteracting that theory. And he begins with the question. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Well, we know from the end of chapter 5 that he says in verse 20, The law entered that the offense may abound, but where sin abounded, grace increased much more. So what caused grace to increase to begin with? It was the law, when the law came in, that caused grace to be magnified. Matter of fact, the last message that I preached from the end of Romans chapter 5 was the magnification of grace. That the law makes grace seem so much bigger. And so it would logically say, well, if sin and the law makes grace look so much bigger, then let's keep on sinning so that grace seems really big. Should we do that? The thing is, sin reigned in death. Sin does not allow grace to reign. Okay, so the law magnifies grace, but sin does not allow it to reign. Sin allows sin to reign. Sin allows death to reign. Just a small reminder. As we preach through salvation by grace alone, let me remind you that grace does not give people a license to sin. Last time we all checked, people were already sinners before grace came along. So I want everyone to know as we talk about grace, as we continue talking about grace, that we're not talking about making people more sinful. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul is talking about. Paul is not saying that your freedom in Christ is freedom to sin. That's the wrong message. I hear people talk about some preachers, and they say that they are hyper-grace preachers. 
I don't even understand that term, hyper-grace. You see, how can you get more grace than grace? How can you get more unmerited than unmerited favor? How can you get more free than free? I mean, if you give me a present, and I say, well, how much do I owe you? And you say, it's free. And I say, how free? How free? You see, free is not a quantity, but a quality. So the thing about hyper-grace, I don't think there can be another grace or a different grace or a bigger grace. I mean, there's just grace. There might be some folks who preach that you can do what you want and still be saved, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God saves you by grace for His glory. And this was the distinguishment we're going to make tonight. That He saves you by grace for His glory. So when we say, can we continue in sin, does that glorify God? By no means. So that's not what the gospel is leading us to. The gospel does not lead us to continue in sin. The gospel is that God saved you by His grace and He uses dirty vessels for clean purposes. You see, I don't think these other folks who are preaching a big grace, I actually think they're preaching a small grace if it makes you think that you can go on living how you want. I don't think that's big grace. I think that's small grace. Which in reality is not grace at all. Because if God cleans off the sinner and then sends him back into sin, what kind of favor is that? Is that favor? Is that unmerited favor? That's not favor. That's not a curse. If God cleans us up through salvation and then sends us back into sin, that's not favor. So that's not grace at all. That is the opposite of what grace is talking about. Grace means favor on your life. Unmerited favor. Favor means good things. Favor means blessedness. Favor means something superior, something better. If he saves you, but then you are still stuck in the old ruts, that's not better. He just puts you back where you were to begin with. You see, my friend, God has not saved us by good works, but we are purposed for them. I want to preach a grace so big, and you can call me hyper grace, whatever you want to. I want to preach a grace so big that when you walk out of church, you say, Wow, that's amazing grace. You see, we don't sing mediocre grace. Mediocre grace, how sweet. We don't sing minuscule grace. We sing amazing grace. Wow, that's amazing. Tell me, has anyone ever heard a message that God saves you so that you can live however you want? Wow, that's amazing. Not He saves us for His glory. There was actually a group of people in early Christianity who had this type of thinking, and they were called the Gnostics. The Gnostics, that term is the Greek word for knowledge. That's where we get our word agnostic. You ever met someone who's an agnostic? You see, an atheist says there's no God. An agnostic says, I don't know. So Gnostic means knowledge, ah means without, so it means without knowledge. So if someone says, I'm agnostic, that means I have no knowledge. That's like a really bad term. 
You see? It means you're dumb. I have no knowledge. You know? So the Gnostics were teaching that as long as you had knowledge of Christ, you could do anything with your body. They taught that as long as you had knowledge, you can eat what you want, sleep with who you want, smoke what you want, drink what you want. To be honest with you, it sounds like a lot of Christians today. I'll be honest, that's the truth. You look at the average Christian with the average non-churchgoer, and you're going to be hard-pressed to find any differences. That's the truth in today's society. Most people who claim Christianity actually are claiming a knowledge of Christ, but no difference in their life. That's Gnostic. They think that as long as my mind has Christ, my flesh can do whatever it wants. They think that the flesh doesn't matter. And I, and I think that belief has crept in modern Christianity that the flesh don't matter. We think that our eyes don't matter. Hey, I can have Jesus in my head, but my eyes can see whatever I want. I can have Jesus in my heart, but my ears can hear whatever we want. We think these things. You see, Baptists love to talk about drinking. But they don't like to talk about gluttony. True? We love to talk about homosexuality, but we don't like to talk about premarital sex and divorce. All these things matter. You know? God didn't save us so that we could be like the world. Praise God. We're supposed to be different. That's why this Sunday we're starting a series called Transform about the difference the gospel makes. My wife saw that image that uh, we shared about transform on Facebook. She said, that doesn't look like a Mother's Day image. I said, it's not supposed to be. Because moms are going to come to church on Mother's Day. And dads are going to think, oh, it's going to be a little lovey-dovey message about mothers. And they're not going to show up. But it's not going to be. It's going to be a message about the gospel. Because the church calendar is not, is not dictated by civil holidays. You see what I'm saying? Now, we're going to honor mothers because we're going to honor the God that created them. You see, those who think that grace should not be hyper, or those who think are the same ones that think sin is small. Whenever we water down the gospel, we water down the work of Christ on the cross, and the resulting message is a message of life enhancement that really has little to do about God using us for His glory. Most sermons today are becoming about life enhancement. How Jesus helps you become a better you. This is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus crucifies you. So that you can live for His glory. That Jesus does not call us to be better. He calls us to die and submit and surrender so that He can live through us. Man, that's not life enhancing. That's life destroying. And when the gospel is watered down, sin starts to bubble up. And we end up keep on living the same way we always have. See, grace does not reign in us when we sin, but when we live righteously. That's why he asked the question, shall we go on sinning so that grace increases? No, grace does not increase in our life through sin. Grace increases through the law when we see how much of sinners we are, but it does not increase as we continue to sin. 
God didn't redeem us from the curse of the law so that we can stay under the curse of the law. The curse of the law is guilt, condemnation, bondage. And sin leads to all those things. Sin leads to guilt, condemnation, bondage. So how could we think if we're redeemed by grace that we're called to live in guilt, condemnation, and bondage? We're not. We're called to be set free from those things. You see, it's just like all those plants that you've been putting in your garden. Most of them plants like the tomatoes or, or, or your, uh, your squash or your okra come in a small cup or a small container. And that container keeps it bound. That container ends up preventing growth. That's what sin does. Sin prevents you from breaking free. Sin keeps us bound. But praise be to God that he transplants us from that that small container and roots us into grace so that we may flourish and produce fruit for his glory. Why would any Christian want to stay in the pot? Why would we want to stay in the container? Why would we want to stay in bondage that limits us? God's called us out of that bondage so that we can be liberated in his grace. And that produces good fruit. Man, praise be to God. That's a good analogy. If salvation were my purpose, were for me, then I could keep on doing whatever I want to. But salvation is not for me. It's for God's glory. You see, let me tell you, Jesus didn't die for you. He died for God. So that you could be redeemed to the Father. As a sacrificial offering. The ultimate goal in Christ is not us, but God the Father, who is glorified. If I'm glorified, then He died for me. But if God's glorified, He died for God. He died to redeem me, to glorify God, so the actual purpose is for God. But Christians don't hear this. They're like, oh, Jesus loves me so much, He died for me. I can do whatever I want. You see? No, 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 no. Jesus died to redeem you to God. For his glory, not our own. We are God's tomato plant. So that someone else could be fed by fruit, by spiritual fruit. We're called to bear fruit. So let's look at this question again. Shall we continue in sin so that grace shall abound? And Paul's response it is among the strongest language used in the New Testament. Here's what his words are. Now my translation says, certainly not. What does your translation say? May it never be. What else? God forbid. Is that what, what version is that? King James, God forbid. What else? By no means, the NIV. What else? See, God forbid. May it never be. Certainly not. In the Greek, this is a Greek phrase that's called may genoito. May it never be. And this is the strongest opposition in Greek language. Meganoito is translated in our vernacular. Heck no. Should we continue in sin? Heck no. Can I say that? You're going to say it when someone cuts you off on the, on the highway of going home, okay? This is, this is the strong confrontation. I imagine that meganoito was like the vernacular of the day. Like the language of the common people. Meganoito. You see? 
Matter of fact, as far as we know, there's no stronger objection in the Greek language than meganoito. It means this is unthinkable. It means this is unbearable. That anyone who thinks this way has the completely wrong understanding of grace. Here's what he's saying. The Gnostics who think they can live however they want to have the completely wrong understanding than grace. And I've met some, some, some hyper-reformed, whatever you want to call them, people that says, well, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. They don't even see grace. You've not even seen it yet if that's what you think. Meganoito, that anyone who thinks has a wrong understanding of grace, Christ, and the cross. To Paul, it was as unthinkable that sin would be allowed in heaven as it was that sin would be in the Christian. Think about that. Can we imagine that God would allow sin into heaven? To Paul, it was just as unthinkable that sin would dwell in the Christian. Because we are the dwelling place of Christ. Can you imagine Christ walking around being a flaming sinner? Can you imagine Jesus cussing out his neighbor? Or lusting after the woman at the well? That's not Jesus at all. Isn't that unthinkable? Meganoito. Unthinkable. That's what he says about us continuing in sin. You see... It was unthinkable for Paul that Christ would walk around in sin so that we also should not walk around in sin. Shall we do whatever we want now? I would challenge anyone who has that conception of salvation that they think they can do whatever they want, that they have not seen grace, they have not seen Christ or the cross in the proper manner. And a lot of times, our, our what we call liberalism... When we say, yes, we're free from the law, that doesn't mean we're free to sin. That means we're free to be righteous. We're free to love people. We're free to serve people. We're free to worship God. We must get to the point in our spiritual life where we meditate on the work of the cross so much, on the love of God so much, that if we were to think about ourselves continuing in sin, the immediate reaction would be, meganoito, by no means. You see, when the cross becomes the focal point of our spiritual meditation, of our daily walk, when we walk in light of the cross, then sin becomes appalling to us. Because the scripture says we've been given the mind of Christ, right? We've been given the heart, the spirit of God, the mind of Christ. And if those things were appalling to Christ, they should be appalling to us. That we can think, man, I'm not going to, I can't do that. I can't do that. You see? We have to have that heart that Paul had. Shall we just go on in freedom, letting grace abound? Meganoita. You know, when I was younger, I viewed theology as a bunch of old stuffy guys in their suits sitting in a lecture hall discussing things that would never really make any difference in our Christian life. I always thought that that was a bunch of boring stuff for the educated, and I really didn't need that stuff. I just needed Jesus. But you see, as I've grown, I've come to understand that theology is everything we understand about God. That the way you live tomorrow will be determined by your theology. What you do tonight when you get home from church will be determined by your theology. What you do this weekend will be determined by your theology. Theology is everything you think about God. So I was wrong. And in theology, 
as well as in the Bible, one big topic is called sanctification, that we're set apart for God's purpose. How many of you have fine china that was passed down from your mother or grandmother or great-grandmother? Three people? Four? Seriously now? Where's all the fine china at? (laughs) You sold it at a yard sale, didn't you? I'll tell you what. Good gracious. All right, how many of you have been to your grandmother's house and seen the fine china in the china? Praise the Lord. Now we got some serious Baptists here. You see, I want you to imagine the delicate care that your grandmother took care of that china and into getting it ready for a special dinner event. Some of you guys that have it, you maybe pull it out once a year, and some of you may never pull it out. I think my mother has some. I don't believe I've ate on it in 30 years. And a lot of you even have a big display case called a china cabinet because it's so special. Man, this is so special. You have glass so everyone sees the pretty, pretty plates that you never use. You ever think about that? <laughs> it's like baseball cards for women. <laughs> They're just going to sit there so people are going to look at them. But at the end of the day, not going to do a whole lot with them. I don't want to call it a china cabinet. I want to call it a sanctification cabinet. Where your finest materials are set apart for the highest purpose. Because you're not going to break this out unless it's the most special occasion on the best day of the year. Maybe Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe one day a year you're going to bust this out. Now imagine that you get out this china... And you clean it real nice, not in a washing machine. You hand wash it to get it ready for Christmas dinner. And I come to your house and I grab this nice china plate from Grandma. And I put it under my car on your concrete driveway to catch the oil so it doesn't ruin your concrete. Now what would you say if you saw me taking Grandma's china under the car? Make a noito! May it not be! I've taken a clean and sanctified object and used it for an unclean purpose. Is that unthinkable? This is the way we must see ourselves. Holy and set apart unto God. Reserved for the highest purpose. And to be brought back into sin. Paul would say, Meganoito. May it never be. It's unthinkable. You see, now we're getting somewhere. That the clean and sanctified dwelling place of Christ would be thrust back into the filthy and dirtle lifestyle of sin. Unthinkable. Christ has set us apart for His purpose because He has such a high purpose for you in mind. He wants you to take you from the china cabinet of the cross and to place you on the table of God's glory. Man, that's good preaching right there. To use you for the highest purpose. You see, I want you to know that through Christ how clean you really are. You see, when we we think there's a small grace, we're going to think we're just small clean. But man, we don't just look clean. And half of us don't even do that well. We are clean. We are clean through Christ. 
The blood of Christ removes every spot, removes every stain, removes every blemish so that you come out pure and sanctified, holy and ready for God. Holy for God's purposes. He has washed you with His grace so that grace can reign, not through sin, but through righteousness in your life. Lastly, let's meditate on this verse too. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You see, sin cannot reign through death because we have died to sin. Sin should not reign in our life because through Christ we are to put the self and sin to death. In order to understand that you and I have been made alive in Christ, we must understand our death in Christ. That we have died to sin. God can never resurrect something unless it dies first. Lazarus was not called forth as a living person. He was called forth as a dead person. He was dead in the tomb. The miracle in Lazarus is that he was dead and came forth. Too much time we've spent about the life in Christ and not about the death through the cross. Because when Christ died, you and I must die, the self must die, the flesh must die. Because only through His death can we be resurrected to spiritual life. We will not understand our life until we understand that we've been crucified. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The foundation of sin is that we try to find pleasure. That leads to death. But the victory over sin is that the self finds death. And this leads to God's pleasure. You see, here's what hedonism and the world is going to tell you. Seek pleasure and it leads to death. But Christianity tells you seek death and it leads to God's pleasure. You see what I mean when I say seek death? I mean seek the denial of self. That daily we must die so that he could live. Because unless I kill myself, and that sounds like terrible language. Taken out of context, people think we're crazy. Unless we suppress the will, it's going to elevate itself and wage war against us all day long. And if we teach the will that it's still in control, we have not submitted to the Spirit if we listen to the will, we're not listening to the Spirit. But what happens is when we suppress the will, the Spirit becomes loud. The Spirit becomes strong. We have died to sin. The self must suppress. So the Spirit, that's why John said, I must decrease so he must increase. Ultimately, the life of Christ was that he was obedience towards death. To fully set aside His will so that the Father is glorified. And if that is the, is the plight of the Master, then it's most certainly the plight of the servant. That we die to self. Take this point tonight. If Christ was called to be obedient to death, you and I are called to the same thing. To be obedient to set aside our will every day so that the will of God is forefront. I want to tell you, 
I want to tell you that when you see it, when you see the Christian call to die, that you are finally liberated from the chains of sin, you will say, Almighty Father, I will gladly set aside my will when you see the joy in Christ. But most of us haven't seen the joy in Christ. We've seen self-enhancement. And that's a, that's a little gospel. Man, the joy in Christ. Let me tell you something. When the self dies, there can be no disappointment. You know how most people are discontent? Discontentment is about the self. My will, my ego, my expectations. Let the self fade away so that Christ reigns supreme. And if the self is gone, no disappointment. Only joy. Only peace with God. Most people walk through their life discontent because the self is still in control. The will is still in control. Just like the prayer that Jesus prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. What we need to say, our mantra should be, not me, but thee. This should be our prayer every morning. Not me, but thee. Thy will be done. And let me tell you, Jesus didn't just die so that we could go to heaven. He died so that heaven could come to us. So that we could be the dwelling place. We're not waiting for a future glory. We're dwelling in present glory. So that every day the flesh can die. The spirit can reign. And we can be victorious. Amen. Salvation is not simply our free pass to heaven. It's heaven's free pass to us so that the kingdom of God reigns on this earth in the life of the believer that possesses victory from the Son of God. Does that classify our life in Christ? If not, I can tell you the answer is because the self is still elevated. There is no life in sin. There is only death. There is no pleasure There is only disappointment. But when we seek the death of self, we find life.